You're listening to the Tattle Creek Podcast. I'm Conan Tobias, Editor-in-Chief of Tattle Creek. This past Wednesday, May the 4th, marked the 100th anniversary of the birth of Jane Jacobs, one of our most beloved and renowned urban thinkers. Jane was a friend of Tattle Creek and a self-professed admirer of the work of Alfred Holden, the magazine's city-building writer. Alfred profiled Jane for Tattle Creek in 2004, and he joins me today, live on the phone from the building next door. Hi, Alfred. Hello, Conan. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I've been enjoying the last couple of days all kinds of news coverage of the 100th birthday of Jane Jacobs. Yeah, so it's uh, it's Thursday evening right now as we record this, or Jane's uh, birthday was yesterday. How did you spend it? I happened to be working 8 to 3, and uh, when the time came, I decided I would take my bicycle and head from downtown up into Midtown and visit the two houses where Jane Jacobs and her family lived in Toronto after they arrived from New York back in the 1960s and until she passed away in 2004. And where are those two houses for those who don't know? They are fairly close to each other in the annex of an old central district in in Toronto. Um, For years she lived at uh, 69 Albany Avenue the address is kind of famous because she used it. She dedicated one of her books to the, the house, and many people over the years from the community, everyone from finance minister Paul Martin, when he was finance minister, to myself, have visited her, Jane, there when she was uh, fully engaged in, in, in writing her books. The other address is not as well known. It's over at 56 Spadina Road. It's an old mansion that the family rented uh, as soon as they came in 1968, and she was photographed and interviewed there a few times, but it was very soon after that that uh, they moved over to Albany Avenue. But the significance of uh, 56 Spadina Road is that it was directly in the path of the famous planned expressway that was to uh, split downtown into uh, into two pieces and uh, bring all of its uh, traffic and other modern uh, uh, fallout to residential districts fr- from the suburbs right into the core. Hmm. That is that's very ironic considering she just escaped that kind of same situation in New York. That's right. Uh, she had... Uh, spent many years wrestling with the great and feared Robert Moses, who was uh, who managed to place a grid of um, uh, expressway, or as they call them in the United States, freeways, over as an overlay over uh, Greater New York. And what did you glean from your your trip to the two houses yesterday? House of 69 Albany has, was sold after Jane died. I believe her son, Ned, lives nearby. Uh, the house has been very well cared for, and you still feel Jane's karma. Uh, the wooden porch, uh, the bay window. Um, you, you look in, and you just... Uh, the family has changed, but it, it looks like the people who live there very much appreciate it, because it's well-painted and well-taken care of. 
So it's reassuring, and the street itself is a very intact example of 19th century Toronto neighborhood at a time when the city's the land values are so high that we're becoming a teardown city. Even in Forest Hill and Rosedale, uh, people buy beautiful mansions and tear them down and build new mansions. I won't pass judgment on whether those are beautiful or not. Um, but the city has definitely succeeded regardless. And uh, the annex remains in some ways sort of the last outpost of the uh, clean 19th century, somewhat aged but still beautiful residential street. Now over on Spadina, I took my bike, it's only a few minutes, I went over on via Kendall Avenue to Spadina and turned right. All up and down in Spadina, uh, there are some older apartment houses, mid to sort of high-rise apartment houses. Um, but there's an area where two old mansions uh, were left sandwiched between several much taller buildings and Jane lived at 56 uh, when they moved here. And I looked around and I noticed that one of the mansions is gone and that 56 is about to be torn down. So I guess that uh, little bit of Jane's history will be gone any day now. I was looking at some photos of that house just uh, this afternoon, looking at some photos when she lived there and some photos of it today. And it doesn't seem to have weathered the years very well in any case. They used to have a nice wooden balcony. It was replaced by brick at some point, I think. It didn't seem to be in that good shape. Well, it was decrepit when she lived there. Uh, there's a story in the exhibit downtown on Jane's life uh, that I stopped to look at as I went up to the Jane's houses, which talks about how when they were living there early on, they asked someone to come and clean, and they arrived and decided it was too dirty. Hmm. So... 50 years on, both of the mansions there uh, clearly have uh, have uh, seen better days. On the other hand, I, as I uh, tell people occasionally, land values are here, here are, are really high, but in other cities, old buildings are often considered an agent of revitalization, and they will be restored as, as uh, a means to uh, re-inhabit the city or revitalize a, a community. So it could have gone either way. In Toronto, with land values so high because of the city's success, which is in no small measure due to Jane's own advocacy, um, things are changing very rapidly. Is that building on Spadina owned by the University of Toronto still? I don't know if it's owned by them. It was occupied by uh, a University of Toronto department until very recently. Hmm. And as the one next door may well have been. So I gather there's a development going in. I was pretty surprised when I found the house gone, though, because I didn't know any of this was happening, and it was like the 100th birthday of Jane Jacobs, and mm -hmm. you arrive, and there you go. Hmm. Change, change happened. Huh. Uh, you got to spend time with Jane on a few occasions. You uh, interviewed her on stage at Harborfront, and uh, she found you quite charming, as I recall, on stage, as older people always tend to do. You have quite the way with them. Uh, but you spent some time with her on in her house at Albany as well, when you profiled her for Tallow Creek back in 2004. How was that? Well, Jane always kind of projected as a grandmother, and I had all four of my grandparents to uh, bring me up, and and so I guess I connected well at that level. Uh, she was always very accessible, uh, which is a bit of a 
curse for a writer because people will always come and bug you and interrupt what you're doing. So it's hard to make good progress on big projects. Um, she had finished writing Dark Age Ahead, and I, I found her very relaxed, and uh, she was very eager to talk about the book. Uh, a newly published book is always a good uh, good excuse to, to make your way in and uh, get the interview that you've always wanted. She was terrific, actually. Um, we sat in the upstairs writing room, and we did look out into the yard, which was a jungle. Um, I think there's something else I've, I've recalled that Jane had brought over some of the seeds from the yard at 56 Bedina Road and planted them uh, at uh, 69 Albany. Mm. I looked out, and I saw the jungle out back of the house. Mm. And we talked for a couple of hours uh, about um, her... Um, her view that we've made some difficult turnings in recent decades. Uh, I think people may be acquainted with the thesis of the book. It was kind of controversial in its day. It's always controversial when you bring out a book that is kind of not too optimistic. People always want you to say, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And she was pretty cautious, though, if you read the book. It was uh, kind of upbeat in its overall, the overall impression it left with you. So the conversation was pretty upbeat. We did range across uh, other topics and talk about the neighborhood, um, where I wrote a column for the local annex Gleaner for many years, and she seemed to have read it, and which is a great honor to have somebody say that. Um, we had in common, I guess, that we both enjoyed our neighborhoods and the details of our neighborhood um, with her really wonderful book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities, having arisen really from the cracks and the crevices and the manhole covers of, of Hudson Street and Greenwich Village in New York, where she lived for a very long time and began writing about cities. I didn't get to spend the you know, private one-on-one time with her that you did. Was What, what was her, her presence like in, in, that, in that situation? She was gracious and grandmotherly. Karma was was always. I had met her a few times before uh, at a campaign office, and I think I met her the first time when she gave a uh, a walk around the annex with Ed Mervish on his seventieth birthday. And uh, I was a cub reporter, as we, we used to say, and I was honored that one of my first stories was was this walkabout with Jane and Ed Mervish, whose story I guess is closing at the end of the year. He's dead now for eight or ten years um my article was put on the side of ed's and i used to be able to walk by and read it and i don't say it there now i remember that i was up there for a very long time just came down recently if I recall. <laughs> little pat for the ego for journalists <laughs> he had good pr you know huh. so it's only it's been uh only a decade since uh jane died uh at that time i think we were still high in the, the david miller years here in toronto uh, a lot has happened since then. A lot has changed. We've been through the Rob Ford era and a lot of that hope. The Dave Miller era, it's still there, but it just things things are different. We've gone through a lot. Do you think that uh, Jane's writing and her ideas um, are still as relevant and still hold true in the, in the same way uh, 10 years after her passing? Well, I think the death and life of great American cities resonates with the public in a universal timeless way. You read it and you 
as you go along, you say, yes, yes, I've seen that too. And it's extremely powerful uh, because uh, she's offering alternative, uh, at the time it was very controversial, alternative view of how cities worked. And it was more a kind of, it was more based on appreciation and understanding of their complexities as opposed to imposing um, imagined ideals upon them. Um, and so that she basically converted, widely converted a lot of thinking away from an embrace of a heavy-duty planning and more of a let the city run and, and live its life. Um, her later works are more complex and not as accessible, in my opinion, and uh, not as not as as well read. So I think that she might have felt uh, pigeonholed by by the, the fame and glory that came with the first book and not felt that her other ideas were as um, as shared. Did her views change over time from that first book? I would say not. They were built upon mm-hmm. until Dark Age Ahead, in a way, began in the outer galaxies and, and zoomed in on, on humanity and tried to identify how we choose broad directions that either make us or break us, whilst death and life of great American cities began really in the, in the dusty corners and crevices. So she kind of reversed the mold for the second, for the last book from the first book. And I think Dark Age Ahead was fairly widely read. It was a bestseller for some time, but controversial, not unlike the original, uh, with a lot of people at the time, a lot of reviewers were debunking Dark Age Ahead as just too pessimistic despite an overall optimistic tone that I think she took pains to put into it. We, uh, we were talking before, she did a book on separatism, did she not? Right, and that is uh, an important one in the sense that you never really knew how Jane would come down on things unless you talked with her about it or, or read about it, because you could assume that she would, you could, you could read The Death and Life of Great American Cities and assume that she'd be uh, a lefty wearing a shawl, but in many ways she was a libertarian, and you couldn't always predict how she would feel about things like Uber. Uh, should we let the taxi industry just fly on its own, or are we protecting the wages of the lowest, some of the lowest paid people, and ultimately all people, if we? protect the taxi industry. I don't know what she would have thought. The popular saying always is now, what would Jane do? It's often very hard to know. Hmm. Has anything from Dark Age Ahead come come true yet? Has, have any of her predictions or theories or her direction that she thought things were going to go in, has that actually happened in the last 10 years? That's... It's probably too early to, to know. I think if you were to uh, it's uh, felt like a dark age if you were to weigh it all after 9-11 you would say it's heading in exactly the direction that she forecast Um, I think more recently voters in a number of important democracies have turned become more moderate and uh, the election of a black president and 
perhaps Canada's more or less repudiation of the approach of Stephen Harper, I think would she would view these as a cause for optimism, that the, the better turnings have taken place. Now, she obviously wouldn't advocate, she wouldn't say, I'm happy if the dark age comes because it proves she's right. Quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. And her the book was full of little suggestions that she said would build upon each other for making more positive turnings, as she might put it. Well, it's good that she's still giving us a lot to think about after all these years. There is there's a lot going on this year uh, in celebration of her 100th anniversary. There's the exhibit at 401 Richmond that you mentioned, and there's a lot of other events coming up. There's a couple books coming out. Uh, it should be an interesting year. Uh, thanks for taking some time out to talk about Jane today, Alfred. It was an honor to know Jane, and it was a pleasure to talk about her. Alfred Holden's profile of Jane Jacobs for Tattle Creek can be found on Tattle Creek's homepage at tattlecreekmag.com, alongside the short obituary uh, he wrote on Jane two years later.